You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Joined as always by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. For today's Wednesday episode, where we are going to wrap up our over and under series heading into the opener against Houston on Thursday night. Before we get to that, today's episode is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. So as I said, we are going to finish our over and unders. But before I get to that, there is a little bit of news heading into that game against Houston. Matt Velasquez reported this morning from practice that Mike Budenholzer revealed that we expect that Eric Bledsoe is going to start on on Thursday night, which is obviously huge news. He had that uh, rib cartilage issue that uh, they basically admitted it was going to be a pain threshold thing for for Bledsoe. So that that is huge news. We know uh, what he's been able to do defensively with the whole group. Uh, with James Harden last year. So Eric Bledsoe expected to play, expected to start, as is Wes Matthews, who really, that's one of the worst kept secrets, I would say, that that Wes Matthews was going to be that fifth starter. So fingers crossed at this point, uh, everything is going to go to plan and the starting five that was projected throughout most of the summer is going to be there. Also, with tomorrow's episode, speaking of Matt Velasquez, so for Thursday's pregame podcast, Matt Velasquez from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel will join me to preview that game in detail. But for today, we've just mentioned Eric Bledsoe, and that might be a nice little lead-in to how we're going to start things here with uh, the over-and-unders as, as me and Frank keep this thing rolling. Now, this was, again, seeing you threw me under the bus earlier, I'm going to throw you under the bus with yeah. this one. This was one that you came up with, but mm-hmm. I think I think it's, it's, it's a really good question, and that is the number of players named Eric Bledsoe on the roster come playoff time, the line is at 0.5. <laughs> so, and there's a, so I think we're going to do a couple of these um, about, like, you know, getting at basically like trades and, and what are the odds that certain guys get traded or not. I think this is kind of a toss up. Um, and, you know, Eric Bledsoe has what, essentially three years, 50 million ish uh, guaranteed. I, I think something or no 354, something like that. I, mean, I should know this cause I'm like the token cap guy, but um, you know, he's got basically three years, um, you know, sort of on his contract now that are guaranteed for, if you include the non-guaranteed year. Um 
so again, it's 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 such an interesting question because as a regular season player, you love what you've seen the past couple of years, especially last year. He's 29, so he's definitely not you know on the upside of his career. Uh, but can he play at a very high level if he remains motivated? Yeah, I think he can play at a really high level in the next couple of years. And probably the thing that people don't appreciate in, in well, Milwaukee or elsewhere is you know basically paying your point guard in the range of you know 16 million bucks a year is not a lot like he's one of the lowest paid sort of you know legit starting point guards in the NBA so he's actually like a kind of a bargain if he's you know if you get regular season blood so this year that you got last year he's going to be definitely underpaid relative to what the going rate is for a starting point guard in the NBA so i think there's there's value there um, but again, like if somebody's acquiring him because they want to be a good playoff team or challenge the playoffs, I mean, everybody's going to look at what's happened the last couple of years and obviously factor that in. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a tough question. Now, could there be some scenario where some team looks at him as like, a, I don't know, like, is he a six man on some team that already has a, a proven starting point guard? I mean, heck, heck, like Eric and I talked about that when he was originally acquired, of potentially starting Brogdon and bringing Bledsoe off the bench or, or vice versa. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of to bay on this, I guess as a token Bledsoe defender, I'll say he's more likely to still be on the team, but this one is, is something that I think could go either way. And I think if the bucks make a big move, it's probably going to be for a ball handler. And I think the obvious question is, are you acquiring a guy to complement Eric Bledsoe and George Hill and the other guys you have, or are you, you know, acquiring a guy to replace Eric Bledsoe? Um, and that is going to be, that's really hard to do. <laughs> like it's going to be hard to make like a move that I think is obvious or makes sense. And I, I don't know, I'm not really sure if it's going to happen. I'll say he is on the team um, for the rest of this season, but a big shakeup move, especially if like, you know, the Sixers, are running rampant and looking better than the Bucks in the regular season. Maybe the Bucks feel some pressure, and if Bledsoe maybe brings some of his playoff hangover into the regular season, then yeah, maybe there could be a move here. I think Bledsoe is going to make the playoffs with the Bucks. I, I don't think they are going to move him, but your final point there that there is a lot of basketball to be played between now and the trade deadline, and you're going to get. I mean, by that point, you're going to know whether you are still getting that first-team all-defense level, Eric Bledsoe. And really, if he's still playing at that level defensively, then that's a really, really hard guy to trade, even with what you've seen offensively in the playoffs the last two year, two years. It's just with, with the guys that play at that position and what you're trying to, to, to do come the postseason, that's a hard guy to move. Um, I think conversely... You only get so many chances before you look at a, a decision and say, well, okay, the first year I understand what happened in Boston. You got to back this guy in. He had an incredible regular season. You give him the deal early, though. He didn't really play up to that regular season level in the postseason. If it happens the third year, then you're like, oh, that might have been a mistake. And also... Yeah. And also then, how do you move that guy to, as you said, to, to maybe a, a bad team, sure, but you pretty much eliminate uh, any good team that, that's wanting to contend, wanting to take that guy on, right? Because it's been consistent now theme of, of playoffs 
underperformance. And again, I I don't think that Bledsoe was that bad last year. Like I will defend him and think that he played relatively well. It just wasn't to the the standard that he played in the regular season. But I, I think that he will do it. I, I will back Eric Bledsoe in, in the regular season to do what we've seen. And at that point that, that becomes a really hard, hard guy to move. And also I'm just not sure how you figure out a, a trade. It, it would be a difficult trade to make in terms of what other pieces would the Bucks have to move with this guy? If you trade Eric Bledsoe, then you need to bring in a point guard. Yeah. And then how do you sort of maneuver that deal? I mean, I know you see a bunch of stuff online about, you know, Chris Paul, these stuff, but I just don't see that happening. So I think for a number of reasons that, that Bledsoe will, will still be here come April. The mechanics of a Paul deal are just so hard because, yeah. I mean, he makes more than 2x what Bledsoe makes. I mean, yeah. you'd have to throw so many guys into that trade just to make kind of salaries work. Like, you need to throw – I'd have to double-check exactly what you'd have to do, but, you know, you'd have to throw in – Ursan, probably other guys who are younger that you want to keep um, just to kind of make salaries match. And then even if you kind of like hit the minimum in terms of salaries, then you're very likely going to go into the tax to get Paul this year, which we know that ownership does not want to do based on what everything that's happened so far. I mean, if they, you know, intentionally avoided a trade exception, just because that might give them the chance at um, uh, hitting the tax. Like then, yeah, like I would say they're probably not going to hit the tax in a Chris Paul move. And you definitely are going to be in likely tax hell, you know, next season and the year after adding a point guard who's making, you know, in the mid 30 million plus range. So, um, so it's, it's just really hard to pull off. Um, I think, is there some scenario where it could happen? Maybe, you know, like if there's a desperation level, um, where they feel like they have to add something and Paul looks good in, in, uh, in Oklahoma city it maybe it could happen. Right. Um, but again, I think there's other potential guys out there that, that maybe you could make that, that argument for as well. Um, so I don't know. I, we don't have to kind of go into all that, that stuff, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, a couple of their trade related ones. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I think I previously said, the odds of Dragon Bender making the final, uh, making the, the or surviving past the trade deadline were like 30% or 40% or something like that. Um, I'd say it's better after watching the preseason, but um, the interesting thing with him is, and, and you, we have a similar one here, uh, you know, number of players named Dragon Bender on the roster can play us 0.5. Um, I'll say this. So he's interesting in the sense that, I think probably the biggest thing with him is like his physical upside. Like, can he get stronger, faster, more physically in shape with the Bucks training staff than maybe he looked coming into the season, which I think I was actually a little bit underwhelmed by. That's the only thing I'd kind of really complain about was I think yeah. that might've hurt him defensively from what we saw in the preseason. But um, you know, he's not a guy that you expect to play this year. Could he play if a Lopez brother or two, two gets hurt? Yes. Um, but you wouldn't expect it. I mean, he, him and Thanasis are the two guys who are going to be clearly non-rotation guys um, when everybody's healthy. Um, he, but he has a second year on his contract that is non-guaranteed, which is interesting because obviously if he shows you something, then he could be a really dirt cheap guy next year as well. But the flip side is Robin Lopez has a two-year deal as well. So, um, you know, that makes me think, well, you know, even if, if, if Lopez was signed for one year, then maybe you'd say, hey, maybe Bender, you keep him just so you've got another big that you like and has some 
you know, three point shooting ability and some size, um, for, for next year as insurance. But, um, again, you just think about the potential moves the bucks might make and just the fact that he's the easy guy to trade, uh, or, or, or wave. Um, I would say still, I would still guess that he is not on the roster at the end of the season, but, um, certainly didn't hurt his chances uh, from what we saw in the preseason. Yeah, I'll keep this on short. I think he's he's not on the roster. <laughs> and, yeah. and, that, and that's, uh, you know, as you said, he, he had a great preseason, but I think the simple fact is he's the easiest one to, to dump with really no consequence. I think yeah. that uh, if, as you said, an injury, an unfortunate injury may change this, but I think he's the one guy that the Bucks are going to be able to have an extended period of, of 60 games to look at this team and say, okay, what do we need to add? And then potentially look at, you know, bringing in a, a you know, a buyout guy later on or something like that. Bender is just the easiest one to move. Like it's just, it mm-hmm. just comes down to being that simple and he's plays at a position that's, that's pretty well stacked. So uh, yeah, I, I, it would surprise me if he was around and potentially if he is around, it's the Bucks are, on their way to winning maybe 65 games, uh, have no no health issues and are, and are looking absolutely fantastic and he's not playing anyway. So uh, that's probably the way I see that. But we have one more in this sort of category before we get to the, to the final sort of overall team numbers. Is Wes Matthews' number of starts. And this is one that you brought up the other day and you had the line of 48.5 and I think you mentioned his career low was 48 starts as a rookie was that was that right yeah which is kind of wild because he was obviously you know it's one thing if you're a uh you know like a first round pick lottery pick and you end up playing starting 48 games as a rookie i mean he was a guy that nobody expected to be an i mean i don't know if people even thought he'd be an nba player and he comes in in his rookie year with utah plays 48 starts 48 games plays 82 and then signs a big contract with Portland that following off season. And, uh, you know, kind of the rest is history where he obviously becomes a really good player in Portland and then tears his Achilles. And, you know, certainly has, hasn't been the same guy since doing that, but um, he's a guy that, uh, I mean, no offense to, to Wes, but I would say you look at guys who have just been career starters and especially at this phase of his career at 32, he's probably one of the guys you would say has, um, been overplayed as maybe as much as as uh, he'd be in that discussion for guys who have continued to start and play huge minutes in spite of like not really being that productive anymore. Maybe relying on his um, kind of reputation more than his actual production. Um, I think part of it also just because the fact that he's a guy who can shoot threes and is a high volume three point shooter and is a competent defender and a physical defender, like those guys tend to be more plug and play anyway. So, you know, again, it's, it's one thing, you know, it's like a guy like Carmelo, who's like only like really going to be like a focal point offensively. Like it kind of makes sense that maybe he would drop off and not be able to adjust. Wes Matthews just, you know, you want him to dribble less. Um, but other than that, like, you know, yeah, try to be a tough defender and shoot a lot of threes like that, that kind of works. So um, it's interesting looking at him and just, you know, he has been such a regular starter. He's only come off the bench uh, since the 12, 13 season. He's only come off the bench for, I think one, no, two games, I guess. Um, so he's penciled in as the opening night starter in Milwaukee. Uh, but I mean, you, you know, it's West Masters, okay? Like, you, you can't act like he somehow has some birthright to be the starting shooting guard <laughs> on a, a finals contender, especially given that, objectively speaking, again, the Bucks don't have 
great talent behind him. That's why he's starting. But are there worlds where you could pick out any number of guys who are currently coming off the bench to potentially take that spot? Yeah, I think you could make the case. So at 48, still feels kind of low enough. I think he'll he'll hit at least that in terms of just reputation and Bud trying to get consistency and just the fact that given the way he likes to shoot threes and I think he will move the ball and I think he'll dribble less than he maybe previously did. Uh, I think he'll, you know, I think the idea is that he will fit well with the starters. That said, he is not Malcolm Brogdon. um, And it wouldn't shock me if at some point, maybe another guy took that starting spot or obviously maybe if he had injury issues Um, and he's been pretty healthy since the, since the the Achilles tear cost him um, the end of the 14, 15 season, but um, I'll take the over, but again, this is one of those things where the fact that I'm so confident in the over, like doesn't make me feel good. And <laughs> it is a reason to think, well, the Bucks should be very open to looking at other options in the trade market, because that's another way that maybe Wes Matthews doesn't end up being the starter long-term is um, if they acquire somebody better and, and plug him in at the shooting guard spot. I like the over as well, and it's sort of for the, it's kind of the backwards way of looking at some of the stuff you explained. I think the fact that at this point in his career, you want him to do less actually suits him to play with the starters and play with all these these guys that do more. Because uh, I think that when I look straight up right now, clearly there's a bunch of question marks about these guys and we're not really sure where they'll end up and that, that being, uh, you know, Sterling Brown and, and Dante, the two guys we've talked about a lot. But I think that those two guys are capable of doing a little bit more at the moment, even though there's some question marks on the consistency and, and what level they get to. I think that if Wes is playing with a, a majority of, and, and Bud staggers the lineups a lot, I know that, but if he's asked to do more with a second unit, I think that the results are going to be worse. If you put him with the starters and literally all he needs to do is shoot open threes and and defend a little bit, then I think he can be a possible starter, uh, particularly as the fifth guy uh, with, with the four other guys that we sort of uh, projected to be next to him. So I like the over for that reason that uh, I think the fifth starter in this offense and this defense it's not necessarily that, that they get hidden, but I just don't think they're asked to actually do a lot. And as long as he is willing to settle for that, and that was some of the stuff I read from Pacers fans last year, that regardless of who had the ball, Wes Matthews has a tendency to still want to just take over and jack up really bad shots. Yeah, get uh, post-ups, which I right. don't think he will touch the ball. Well, God willing, he will not touch the ball in the post this season for the Bucks. I mean, I do, it's, it's clearly a different situation to Indiana. That was the one thing I would say is that he's not going to get away with that in Milwaukee. But yeah, for, for that reason that I think the, the limited role he's going to be asked to do, I, I think I like the over there as well. Um, we ha- you also had, so last year, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Um, we've done a Giannis MVP finish uh, over under the past couple of years with Eric and I can't remember. I think I, as much as I, I, as I've said that I always sort of bet on Giannis improving, I, I don't remember if I, I think I may have actually been on the wrong side of history. I did not predict Giannis to be the, the, the MVP last year. Um, but I think we had him like, I think it was top, whether he was going to be top three and I may have picked him to be fourth or something like that last year. So this year it's easy. It's 1.5. Is he going to be 
the MVP or not, what is what is your bet this season? Is Giannis going to repeat as MVP? I think so. I if I was a betting man and I was putting money on MVP, it would go on Giannis. I believe he, he's still favorite, or I, I I'm not sure what, yeah. where the market sit, but he's he's definitely right up there. I, I think that a big part of that is how dominant I expect the Bucks are going to be during the regular season. Another big part of that is that Giannis gives me no reason to believe that his numbers aren't going to improve. <laughs> I mean, he's done it every season. So uh, I think with those two factors, and winning is winning is a big deal. I know Russell Westbrook was a little bit of an outlier there. Uh, I think he was one of the, maybe the only MVP to win less than 50 games in, in the last sort of 10, 15 years or something like that. So uh, for those two reasons, I think Giannis will win the MVP and also I think that if he can and this is a big if and we sort of spoke about this on last week's podcast about his three-point shooting but I think that everyone is still very behind on the fact that Giannis like did actually shoot over 30% from three late in the season and we know how much the media loves to drive this stuff if Giannis is shooting Mm. just over 30% then I think everyone is just going to be in such a uh, or there will be so much excitement about Giannis is shooting over thirty percent. This is incredible. Even though he's already done it, like for for quite a while, you know, over the course of his career, uh, I, I think that that will be the sort of point of difference in the narrative. Because really, the MVP is about narrative. So I think that the Kawhi to LA factor is going to be right there. That's going to be pushed because I think after the playoffs last year, there was um, you know some talk that well, Giannis lost to Kawhi. Kawhi was the real MVP, that sort of talk. So I think that there's going to be a push for Kawhi, the LA, te- LA teams in general. And Harden's probably going to do some ridiculous stuff. But I, I think Giannis is more of a, a sure bet uh, of what he's going to produce. Yeah, I I guess I would bet on Giannis this year to, to repeat uh, in, in part just because of sort of the process of elimination. Um, and, and again, I mean, the this isn't necessarily the right way to think about it because having the best chance does not mean that you're, you know, a greater than 50% chance of, of actually winning it. Obviously. Um, I think there's a good argument for the field here. Um, so I'm, I'm maybe going to make more of a case for Giannis having the best odds, not, not Giannis going over on finishing better than 1.5, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but you just kind of look around and, you know, knock on wood with, with Giannis staying healthy, you'd expect the Bucks are going to be one of those teams at the end of the season. If they don't have the best record, they're going to be, you know, very close to having the best record. Uh, and if that happens, you know, again, I mean, what is, what is sort of like going to be like the compelling case for another guy? And it's going to have to be really narrative driven at that point, because, you know, I, as much as Chris Middleton was an all-star last year, I don't think anybody's looking at the Bucks roster and saying, Oh, Giannis has like, you know, multiple all-stars and he's got this juggernaut and it's going to be easy. Right. I mean, if he wins 55 to 60 games again, everybody should look at that and say, this is Giannis carrying another team to yeah. close to, if not the best record in the league. How many games is Kawhi going to play? How many games is Paul George going to play? Even if Kawhi plays 70 games and is awesome, well, he's got Paul George who played, he was the third place finisher in the MVP yeah. last year, right? So, and I know George is likely to miss at least the first month of the season, which obviously in a weird way does, you know, does help Kawhi just from a, um, the fact that he's not competing with George maybe as much for for votes, um, but you know, I mean, there's all these twosomes now 
LeBron and Anthony Davis, again, is one of those guys going to be so demonstrably better than the other? And is it going to translate into huge regular season success in a way that, you know, over uh, overtakes a guy like Giannis? I think that's tough to make. I think that's just tough. And again, that's not necessarily saying that Giannis is a clearly better player than, than, you know, Anthony Davis is going to be for sure. Cause I think Anthony Davis is good enough to, you know, be a better player than Giannis in any given season, but just given the dynamics of, of how this kind of voting is likely to work. Um, I don't see the LA teams having an MVP this year. Um, you know, Jokic, I think is a guy who will be in this discussion at some mm-hmm. point, you know, top three, um, if not this year in the future. But again, it's, you know, is Denver going to be better than the Bucks? Like so much better that you look at Jokic and, you know, just given how much better Giannis will always be defensively than Jokic, is the gap going to really be so big between Jokic and Giannis offensively? <laughs> like, I don't know. If, I mean, you know, even saying that Jokic is better offensively, I don't think is true right now. Um, so, and then I think the other big one is, is Embiid in, in Philly. Um, and again, like if Philly is awesome this year, Embiid could have a really strong narrative case. Um, actually, there's one other I haven't mentioned. Well, I'll get to in a second. But I think um, well, actually, you say two more. You mentioned Harden, but I think Embiid is certainly one to keep an eye on. But again, just the health stuff. I mean, is he going to play enough games? Right, that's always kind of a question. Um, and again, is he going to be? Are, are, the, are the Sixers going to be that much better than the Bucks that you're going to say, well, Embiid carried the Sixers more than Giannis carried the Bucks because everybody's going to look at Embiid is having more top end help than, than Giannis. And then I think you mentioned Harden already. I don't know. I just think if he didn't win it last year, right. um, It's going to be tough this year. I think the Rockets would have to be the best team in the league probably than, than I think he could win it. Um, And then the other guy who I think has a real shot, I think is Steph Curry, right? Because he's Mm going to be, he's going to have to score a ton. And (laughs) I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a referendum on just how good the, the Warriors are. I mean, if, if the Warriors are, a 55 win team and, you know, a top three seed in the West or something like that, then I could certainly see Curry winning it um, and deserving it potentially even. But again, he's also, you know, doesn't have the defensive statement that, that Giannis can make about his value too. So yeah, I think Giannis is in a pretty good spot to repeat, but we know that I think people don't like repeat winners necessarily, even if, um, you know, as pointed out, I mean, there have been a number of, of repeat MVPs, even in recent memory. So it's not like it's some crazy thing to happen, um, but it's hard. Um, but certainly if Giannis is going to do it, now is probably the time to do it, given just the dynamic of all the twosomes versus Giannis being on a great team where he's clearly the guy. Yeah, a couple final thoughts on that, I guess, is we already know, you, you said it, I mentioned it, the, the narrative is really important. And I, I guess that's the only thing that may be difficult for Giannis is that, Last year, the Bucks won 60 games, so reaching the 60-game plateau isn't necessarily going to be a new thing. Uh, so, and and really, his numbers the last two seasons have been have been really good. We spoke about the efficiency, obviously, particularly from two-point range, went up a little bit, but there always seems to be like there needs to be something else, and so yeah, particularly when you're repeating. So that that will be. Uh, the interesting thing for him to see how that sort of plays out in the media. But, yeah, and I think the three-point percentage thing you mentioned is important. Even if, you know, him shooting 31%, 32%, even if teams don't defend him any differently, and honestly, like, yeah. you know, him shooting 32%, are you suddenly going to be, like, not playing him for a drive? No, right? I mean, I think you're still going to play him very similarly. Um, and I don't think it's going to, 
you know, make the Bucks ten games. That could dramatically make yeah. the Bucks better as a team in the re- in the regular season at least. Um, but I agree, yeah, from a narrative standpoint, like oh, he added that to his game this year, right? Like oh, he was the MVP and he worked, right? You know, it's, I mean, whatever. It's, it can be a lot of it's probably BS, but that would be an easy sort of narrative for him to to use or or to kind of build some momentum around, which is again, we know it's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to that point, I've read several articles now that have said that if Ben Simmons shoots threes this year, he can be in the MVP conversation. So that's how <laughs> that's how simple it, it is for, you know, just a, a tiny little thing like, oh, Giannis is shooting threes 30% now? Wow, that's, that's, uh, even if his numbers are exactly the same across the board the rest of the way, that might might be enough. But we have finally got to some of the, the team, the overall team, win numbers and i i don't know what's what's the best one to start with here we've, we've, we've got a couple for the for the overalls yeah let's i mean let's just get to team wins people have been probably I and mean, this is probably the, the one that people are most interested in um since it's the thing that most people do uh you know podcasts do is they, they look league-wide and do the, the over-under so um 57 and a half is the number we've got here i don't know how that differs across various sports books but um We've got the over/under at fifty-seven and a half. The Bucks had the highest over/under for wins of any team, so it is a high bar. Um, where, what are you feeling heading into the season? Now we've seen all the preseason. Uh, hopefully, there's no injuries that change anything about our perceptions of what the Bucks will be this season. Uh, at least not here in the next few days before the season starts. Where do you come out on a fifty-seven and a half over/under? Yeah, I kind of. You know, right from the end of last season, I was sort of set on around 55. And I thought that that was, or that was based on, you know, probably me listening to what Giannis said a little bit too much and what Bud said a little bit too much in terms of the lessons they learned from the regular season, particularly early in the regular season. And now maybe I've just been seduced a little bit from watching them in the preseason and realizing that, okay, yeah, this team is just really good. And I know it's preseason basketball, but for the majority of the teams in the NBA, the Bucs are just going to out-talent them. And they can really show up and not play that well and then have a five, six-minute burst of basketball that just blows another team away. I mean, that's the, the sort of firepower they have offensively. So as the preseason went on, I feel like that number has climbed and now I feel like I want to take the over again because, uh, you know, when you combine that with the fact that the East really, I mean, we spoke about it, but Milwaukee and Philadelphia are just by far so clearly the two most talented teams, the two best teams in the East. There's a few interesting challenges that we don't really know a lot about. Boston, what are they going to be like with their virtual half-team USA squad? And, and and then, you know, adding Kemba Walker, what is that going to mean for them? Toronto is really an unknown. Indiana, I'm not sure where they sit. Uh, Brooklyn, obviously, is a huge question mark. So I, I just think that the, the state of the East means that the Bucks are going to be able to rack up a lot of wins, like very comfortably, even with resting guys. So I think I like the over now. Um, but... It's that is a lot of wins, and even last year, with they only lost back to back games once for the whole regular season, they still only just got 60. So it's not an easy thing to win 58 plus games, but I think that there is going to be enough uh easy wins for this team, particularly at home, that they're going to be able to get that that high 50s mark. And I think potentially the tough schedule early 
in the season will define that. There's going to be some teams that are trying to figure out some stuff. And you already mentioned that Paul George is going to miss the early season game with the Bucks. Uh, Houston, obviously, Thursday night is interesting because they're going to they're going to be trying to figure things out. No one knows how Westbrook and, and Harden are going to look. So potentially the Bucks will be able to use that continuity and really rack up early wins against good teams. And from that point, they're really set up. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, when I did the Bucks preview with with Nate Nate Duncan, I said fifty five or fifty six wins, um, and I, it's kind of similar to what you said. I, I just have had this feeling since the end of last year that not that the Bucks wouldn't take the regular season seriously, but uh, there's a there's a couple of facts. I mean, obviously, teams will know kind of what their deal is coming into the season, right? Like, and again, not that every team is going to come up with a wholly unique game plan to stop the Bucks, you know, just because that's hard to do in the regular season. Uh, that's more of a playoff thing to really kind of change the way you play for, for, you know, one team. But um, I, I think, again, they're going to have a bit more of a target on their backs. Um, teams are definitely not going to underestimate them the way maybe, maybe they did, or especially early in the season last year. Um, and then I think, yeah, I mean, I think everybody just knows on this team now, um, they know the regular season is important, but they also know that, uh, you know, ultimately they're going to be gauged by the playoffs. And, and again, none of this is surprising. Um, I think I think when I think about how the Bucks are going to win games, you mentioned out talent. I mean, talent is part of it. Um, I think it's also just they're going to out-system teams, right? Yeah. I think the Bucks system is just going to overwhelm overwhelm them. And I was listening to the um, Bill Simmons, Ryan Russillo, um, over-under podcast, and um, I think – somebody compared them to like how Giannis and the Bucks are like, they feel like they could be kind of like the Rockets where it's just like their system plus their superstar just like just crushes teams during the regular season. Like, like you can just plug and play dudes um, just given the way that they play in ways that, that other teams can't, can't do that. And it was a weird podcast because like, I don't know if Simmons said like anything good about the Bucks um, in the entire segment, and I don't think he said anything bad about the Sixers in the entire segment that they did on them. So it was just kind of weird because it's just like, well, I, okay, like this just feels like an angle, like yeah, which I always find annoying, right? It's like you know, you listen to it, it's just like, well, do you, like the way you're describing the Bucks, like how are they going to win 47 games? <laughs> like they're everybody but Giannis kind of sucks and is disappointing, and you know, like. Philly is so interesting and, you know, Bill has, you know, uh, uh, looks at Matisse Tybel from Philly as like, you know, the next coming or whatever. It's like, all right, well, whatever. Right. He, Bill also said he loves the Celtics depth. Um, and that, and then specifically only talked about Carson Edwards, who's a second round pick, <laughs> uh, and a rookie. So, you know, just sort of, I don't know. I just kind of felt like it was a little bit interesting listening to that, but, um, but I said anyway, so I mean, it's kind of weird because like I'm saying take the under, but I don't really, I'm not taking the under out of some belief that the Bucks are like fatally flawed and can't win a championship. Yeah. It's more just that, you know, they'll maybe pick their spots a little bit more than last year. And I mean, in fairness, I mean, the Bucks were not going all out in the last month of that season, wow. right? I mean, they had the Brogdon injury and they had, you know, a couple games where they, you know, like the, the Hawks game where they... <laughs> like one in weirdly heartbreaking fashion, given that they had no like NBA players seemingly Bonzi playing Coulson. that game. Bonzi Coulson and uh, Tim Frazier playing just the monster minutes. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, the Bucks wouldn't shock me at all if they win sixty-five games. But I'll, 
I'll pick them maybe to be a little bit off. I mean, again, it's really hard. I mean, winning 60-plus games in back-to-back seasons is really hard, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, we're also – we also, when we do this, we tend to assume, like, good health. And obviously the Bucks had generally good health last year. Even if Giannis missed – I mean, he missed 10 games, right? That matters. Um, you know, Brogdon misses however many weeks that was with uh, with his injury. Um but again, you, you, you didn't have a Giannis misses, you know, six weeks because of a knee scope or something like that. You didn't have something on that level. You didn't have Chris Middleton miss two months or even a month or something like that. So I think baking in the possibility of all those things happening as well, I'll take the under. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't do that in a, as, as like a means of saying like, oh, the Bucks like get ready to be disappointed. You know, it's, that's not really what I'm saying. Um, and the other thing too is like, I mean, Philly's the other obvious kind of potential juggernaut in the East. And I don't know if Philly's going to be like a juggernaut regular season team either. I mean, their weirdness could help them in the regular season in some ways, you know, just kind of like the Bucks. like if you're not ready for a team that plays like them. Um, but, you know, Horford, I imagine just given he's had knee problems, he's older, you're probably not going to go crazy playing Al Horford huge minutes this year. Uh, and, you know, again, Ben Simmons hit one three against a Chinese team and, did not attempt a three against an NBA team in the preseason. So, you know, again, is Ben Simmons going to be a different player? You'd think he would have tried to show that when the games didn't count um, rather than waiting for them to count. So um, I think they have a lot of talent and they're interesting, especially defensively. But, you know, again, I don't necessarily see the Sixers being like a, a regular season juggernaut, which I think also takes some of the pressure off the Bucks to be, you know, a team that, that wins a crazy amount of regular season games too. And I think the Bucks. I mean, I think they should want to have the best record in the league just because of the potential for, again, like having to play a game seven in the East finals, in the NBA finals. I mean, it's an advantage, right? I mean, even if the best team tends to win regardless, um, I think if you're the Bucks, you want every advantage you can get. And we know that their system works. And I think you look at the West, you know, hopefully those West teams, especially with some of the injuries you mentioned um, with Paul George, um, who knows what's going to go on with LA and, you know, just that mix of talent and coaching and all that. Um, it's possible that the Bucks, yeah, very possible the Bucks could come away with the best record in the league and and not even have to like have everything go right. So anyway, yeah, I'll take the under, but again, don't uh, don't feel like it's me being like necessarily a big pessimist. Okay, so Frank's got the under on fifty seven point five. I'm cautiously going the over, and clearly. I'm a big uh, believer in preseason basketball uh, as that really, you know, the last probably month or so and probably just more thinking about the league uh, and, and the state of state of the East sort of convinced me that maybe they might be able to win more games. And I guess I probably think back to last year and we spoke a lot in, in these over and under podcasts about the, the minutes the guys have played. And I sort of think back to last year and I'm like, well, they really didn't go all out. Like I know that that was sort of an outside narrative that the Bucks were pushing all out for 60. And there's no question that 60 wins meant a lot to that team. But when you look at the minutes that the guys played and, and how many times that the starters were not over 25 minutes through the season, I mean, they coasted for, for a lot of it and still got to 60. So it'll be interesting to see. I think also, as you pointed out, potentially what Philadelphia is doing could motivate this team when it, when it does come to home court. So that's, that's a yeah. That'll be something to watch also. But we did have you want to do these last couple and I, 
we have home wins now. I think this is one that you guys certainly have done in the past, and it was always just. I mean, it was low twenties. I, I think for, for most of for most of the ones, and then last year, obviously, the huge jump in the first season of Fiserv. But I've got thirty three point five for home wins last year. They had thirty three, and then you can probably tie them both together. Double digit wins, forty five point five, which is clearly a lot. But forty five of the Bucks wins last year, forty five of the sixty wins were by double digits. So uh, we'll we'll see how these two these two play out. But we'll, where are you at with them? I mean, I guess if I'm taking the under on total wins, I guess I yeah. can't take the over on that they're going to be better at home. Um, that said, I don't know. It's kind of you think about psychologically. Like if teams are more ready for the Bucks this year, if it's like a bigger deal to play the Bucks, um, that might translate, especially into maybe it's a little harder to win on the road. I don't know. Maybe that's so. Maybe it's less of a, a home issue this year. Um, but I'll take the under again. Not not that I think they're going to be bad at home, because um, again could the Bucks win like 38 or 39 games at home? Like they could, right? I mean, they're going to be playing again, mostly East teams, obviously. Um, and then you only have to play the best West teams once at home. So uh, it's very possible. You could, you could definitely improve on, on the home record from last year. Uh, and then I think the, 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 the 10 plus win record 45 and five last year Um that's an incredible number. I mean, we talked a lot about obviously the point differential and how that was the mark of a historically great team last year. Um, to put that in perspective, 45 double digit wins last year, you go back uh, for the last like dozen years. Um, the, uh, the 2008 Celtics. So the first year, the big three Celtics and they won the title, they were 45 and three in double digit games. Uh, and then the, uh, the 73 win uh, Warriors were won 44 double digit games. So last year's Bucks won had more blowout wins than even the 73 win Warriors. And the only team that in that period that had had more double digit wins than last year's Bucks were the 16 17 uh, Warriors, which was the first year of the Durant Warriors. So you know, literally, probably the most talented team that you know we've seen in in my lifetime. Um, barely had more double digit wins than last year's Bucks. Again that's a really high bar. So I'm going to take the under, um, but we're talking about, you know, just historic levels of just games in which you're just dominating. And so um, not the end of the world <laughs> to, to come off of that. I mean, just to put in perspective last year, the Bucks 45 and five in double digit, uh, double digit games, the Raptors were 33 and nine. So they had 12 fewer double digit wins in the Bucks. The Warriors had 34 double-digit wins last year. Jazz also 34, interestingly. So, um, so yeah, there was a huge gap between the Bucs and the rest of the league last year. And even if they, uh, you know, they can afford to, to see a drop-off there and, and still be the best team in the league in that regard. Yeah, you sort of mentioned that. I, I think that the depending, it, it does sort of, those, those are dictated by what you do pick on the overall. But I, I did want to hear those numbers again with the double-digit wins because, yeah, I mean, it was absurd. Uh, I know last year, I mean, it was in November when I think the Bucks passed their home double-digit win total from the year before. Uh, it was sometime, It was either like late November or early December. It was ridiculous the way that they, they started last year. But, yeah, I'll take the over at home. And then uh, I think that, as you pointed out, the sort of the historical dominance of, of the double-digit wins, I, I think I'll, I, it would not shock me if that dropped down 
a little bit there. But just on the home games, Giannis, uh, I just had took a quick look. He missed six home games last year and four road. And I think, you know, if you're strategically resting Giannis, then I think you probably need to take a bit of a deeper look at the back-to-backs and, and where the home games sit and who you're, what teams you matched up against on the back-to-backs. But, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I don't think that really would have a bearing on, on, the, on the home wins. But, I, I, yeah, as you sort of said, I could see the Bucks only losing uh, a few games at home. They, they play so well there. And if they are going to get the over like I, I predicted, then they're going to have to win a bunch at, at home again. So I think where are we at? I think we've got through everything that we had. This was uh, a lengthy, I think, I think a lengthy only, list. I, I think the only other thing we missed was uh, a very important one, which was the number of uh, high tea uh, oh. high tea drinking celebrations from Robin Lopez. Uh, I think you had it at 40 this year. Yes. Uh, his His career high in three or was a career total in threes is 11 and you put at 40 obviously we saw him uh shoot many more threes in the preseason than, than he historically has yeah are you thinking that robin lopez will average more than a half three-point shot made per game well i i think that robin lopez is gonna play somewhere in the 15 to 20 minute mark a game and if you think that what is a what is a realistic percentage for him, uh, I don't know whether he's capable of shooting over thirty percent. He certainly wasn't shy in the preseason. I probably still would take the under, though. I mean, just for the minutes he's going to play. I mean, I could certainly see games where he hits, you know, two or three, and then I could also see that he would go through a stretch where just with the matchups and the shots available that. He might not even attempt one for stretches. So I think 40 is a lot, but he is a guy that I expect to play every night. So the the half three-point make per game, considering that he clearly is being told to shoot them and has a green light as everyone does, and seems like an adequate corner three shooter. We know that he's always been a, a decent mid-range shooter, so he's just moved back to the corners and seems to be shooting it pretty well. So I don't think it's a ridiculous line, but just based on that, that previous career high of 11, 40 seems like a long way away, but it would be really fun. And, you know, Milwaukee does funny things to the Lopez brothers. You, you mentioned earlier, Brooke Lopez with only one tech before he came to Milwaukee and then he was just uh, posting PBs everywhere. So maybe, maybe Robin uh, tops the 40 mark. I was going to take the under, but um I, I can't I can't bet against uh, Robin Lopez doing yeah. fun things. So yeah. uh, for the record, in the preseason, seventy minutes in four games, which seems like probably a reasonable you know seventeen and a half minute per game average. That sounds like the kind of number that you'd expect in the regular season as well. Uh, in four games, hit four out of twelve, uh, missed some badly, looked good on others, four out of twelve, so one per game on three attempts, thirty three percent. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't bet on one per game, um, but can he hit forty in a in an eighty two game season? I'll take the over. I'm I'm feeling frisky, nice. and you know, maybe he'll maybe he'll end up hitting like fifteen. Um, but uh, I don't expect him to hit a great percentage. But you know, certainly teams are are not going to defend him like they do Brooke. Um, so he's going to have open looks from three. And um, again, I think uh, he looks very excited and willing to, to shoot him, and we know that's the team's ethos. So um, I'm I'm all in on on Robin's uh, 
extravagant and, uh, you know, kind of, um, overzealous tea drinking, uh, pinky wagging, uh, celebration. And so, uh, the more of those, the better for, for many reasons, but I'll, I'll take the over and, um, what better over under to, uh, to end this series on than than on a Robin Lopez one. Yeah, I'm going to claim that that was intentional, that I, I skipped over that one. Uh, so I will, yeah, I'll, I'll claim that I meant to do that, but I agree. That is that is a good way to finish it. And is there any final thoughts from you for, I'm not sure if I, I probably won't speak to you before, hopefully the, the Bucks get the, the season off to a winning start. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I will be making my way with my, daughter uh to houston this week my wife's going to be traveling um so uh we're gonna we're gonna do a trip to uh to houston see the rockets and bucks i will not be bringing my daughter to uh the <laughs> to the game um she'll be with her grandmother but uh yeah excited for the season to get started um a little anxious about you know the again as i think i mentioned previously just the potential uh, annoyance factor of the Bucks lose uh, against the Rockets and Harden has a huge game, but uh, you know whatever. Um, hopefully, uh, the Bucks can come through and get uh, get another season off on uh, on the right foot. Okay, so this several episodes of the Over and Under was brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. Frank, I look forward to talking to you post-game on Thursday night. As I said, hopefully it's uh, you with the bragging rights at home (laughs) after the the season opener. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I mean, maybe a good thing if the Rockets win. That that your wife is away, but if the Bucks win, maybe that's that's disappointing. Yeah, we we won't have to uh, you know uh, share the same roof, regardless of of outcome. <laughs> so maybe that maybe that's for the best. Well, hopefully it is a good outcome for us. But we will leave it there for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman. We will speak to you tomorrow.